Hello and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Korvar. And I'm Kakita Kaori. And this week we're going to be going over two fictions, Courtenets and Hidden Snares, and The Sea and Sun Shadow. I've suddenly realized uh, putting the and in, because they've both got and in the title, and then I'm putting them together with and, and I'm sure that makes sense. Fiction number one is Courtly Nets and Hidden Snares. Fiction two is The Sea and the Sun's Shadow. Sounds great. We do have a little bit of news this week. Um, the first piece of news is that we have a definitive due date for when Curse of Honor is going to be out. That's the uh, mm. first of the Aconite Press L5R novels. It's going yep. to be out October 6th in the United States and November 12th in the UK. Uh, and press review copies are available now, but I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a member of the press, sadly. No, so, no. No. Um, also, uh, there are supposed to be audio versions and other translations other than English, but it looks like it will be about a month for those additional translations to be coming around. Okay. All right. uh, for our patrons, we have new Challenge Focus Strike uh, Adventure Seeds. They are the Silver Kitsune and the Ghost of Ukihashi Bridge. So if you're one of our patrons and it's only like a dollar a month and all that kind of thing, then you can check those out. Yes, and we also wanted to call out that uh, in our last podcast... If you have not heard it, we go through with Katrina Ostrander and Max Brooks uh, making a school. And in that podcast, we made a new Kakita Artisan School. And that school is available online for you to check out and see if you want to integrate it in your game. So we thought we'd mention it. Yep. Uh, we had a lot of fun putting it that together. That was a blast. Uh, and uh, and also the, the the podcast itself I thought was a really good kind of introduction to how to use the the uh, client the uh, the school builder so that was a good fun. So shall we move on to the two fictions? We can. Well, uh, the the uh, first of the fictions is Courtly Nets and Hidden Snares. It is by Marie Murdoch, and in it. Kikita Yoshi, who's had some very, very bad days recently, mm -hmm. um, he's trying to regain strength in the court by weakening Shouju. Uh, he is very convinced that Shouju had something to do or used nefarious means to put himself in the position of power as regent to the Empire. And he does not want to hand over the Empire to the Scorpion. Uh, so he is working to undermine Shouju by an, by courtly means. So he brings together the phoenix, unicorn, and crane in the court to ask Shouju to intervene against the lion, which kind of puts Shouju in a double bind if he doesn't do it. Uh, and then later, he pushes through Yogo Asami's disguise. Uh, he realizes that she is acting as Kachiko's body double, and from that, he manages to piece together, and her reaction, he manages to piece together that the Scorpion are involved with Tatori's disappearance. Mm -hmm. 
So there's a little stuff going on there. I'm not as convinced as Yoshi is that his uh, shenanigans at court were the masterstroke that he thinks it is. <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, but the but the stuff with uh, Asami is mm, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> well, it is a success for for Yoshi, and he hasn't had very many yeah, of those. Ever. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of shocked that Shoju left Asami on her own ever. <laughs> if I'm if I'm if I'm completely honest with you, I think I think if anything says that Shoju's possibly not got the firmest grips of on the situation as we might like, that's the thing that really says it. So, he was flustered mm. enough to not notice that she was flustered. How's that? Yeah, something along those lines. Because uh, you're right. I mean, he, if he was being fully, showed you fully intact with his awareness of his court, he probably should have noticed that she went out in a upset and disturbed state. And yeah. therefore, you know, made sure that Yoshi wouldn't be able to intercept her. And he didn't. I suppose, yeah, yeah. I suppose this is a change from the the very common portrayal of the Scorpion in previous editions as being absolutely masterful. They have, every, they have an agent everywhere and they know everything and they just succeed at everything they try and do and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> And here they are being slightly vulnerable, which I think is an interesting and slightly refreshing change. But uh, we will see what happens with that, I suspect, later on. This this is a big thing that, that this disguise has been penetrated. Because in the, in the previous thing with Kachiko and Hotaru, just the idea that Kachiko has a body double throws a whole bunch of things in doubt. Mm-hmm. And that is now known by at least one person. So we'll see how that goes. Right. There are some lore nuggets in there. Um, so And references to other stories that I thought I'd mention out. A lot of these are things that have been established in early, earlier stories. But sometimes I like to call them out again in case you haven't listened to us talk about them in earlier mm. episodes. Um, let's see. Ide Tadaji refers to the lion stealing crops reserved for the imperial tax. And we just did talked about that in cold autumn harvest that, you know, certain villages have, um, are set aside to pay the imperial tax for a clan Mm -hmm. and they steal that, which means they steal it from the emperor. Now in cold autumn harvest, uh, a coma scenario says, leave the taxes for the empire, emperor. Yes. And yeah. so basically, if the lion did that, then the unicorn used the taxes for the emperor to feed the people of the village rather than let them starve, which is a unicorn thing to do. And yeah. are saying that the lion stole the imperial tax, which... Sounds about yes. in character for everybody there. So it's a question because obviously the the one person, the one unit of line that we saw doing this on the border, they left the imperial taxes, but we don't know that they are the only ones. That's true, and we don't know if anybody else did something different. 
So there's a lot of possibilities here that that people might actually be lying or people aren't lying or it's not the whole truth. Well, when you're talking about barrels of rice, saying these are the imperial barrels of rice and these are the not imperial barrels of rice is um yeah splitting hairs in some ways yeah yeah and and kind of did the unicorn come in and say well they clearly stole the food that the peasants were going to eat and left the taxes or they stole stole some rice so yeah yeah (laughs) which half all right there are references to the kikita castle curse again Mm-hmm. Uh, where which says that Yoshi cannot carry a katana as cannot any Kikita who's been born in the uh, Kuden Kikita with the doors closed. Uh, normally, he would be expected to carry one as part of the ruling family of the Kikita. Yeah. So this is actually interesting in that all three families uh, of the all three families except the Asahina. All the families yeah, except yeah. the Asahina of the crane actually are generally ruled by Bushi. So. Mm. Or, or at least you're you're expected, even if you are a courtier, if that's what that says in your character sheet, then you are expected to have picked up <laughs> enough martial arts and enough and enough bits to to kind of not embarrass yourself. Right. So that, that's kind of it. a little bit of a burden if you think about it. You know, you're supposed to come yeah. from, this, from this martial tradition and be a leader on the battlefield as well as in the courts, and you can't do that because mm-hmm. you are Kikita Yoshi. Yep. It is kind of tough because Kikita are known as the best duelists. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, they're also known as the best artists and so on. Of but course, go, I'm the, the leader of the Kikita. I, yeah, I, I lead the Kikita. I don't duel does sound a bit weird. <laughs> uh, we also have the phoenix. Uh-huh. Part of the, the part of the, the phoenix, the phoenix part of Yoshi's grand plan uh, ends up with them reminding that heaven, which are the traditions established in the name of heaven, is greater than the power of any one emperor. Which is, I think it's one of, it's, it's a philosophy that some people have argued about, like, out of character, we, you know, we, we on the Discord and other places have kind of, is this a thing? Is there a, such a thing as the mandate of heaven and that kind of thing? And this is a, an out loud on camera, somebody stating this. Right. The, it's important to cool s- thing. say that imperial power in this case, and this, this clarifies it, imperial power mm. is not absolute. Um, yep. No power, anyway, is absolute. It, it's it's derived from tradition that gives mm. imperial power its tradition. And what the term the Phoenix uses and, and Yoshi uses in his mind is the sanction of heaven, which is this idea that heaven will inflict punishment on Rokugan if it doesn't see its will, which yeah. is translated to mandate when we talk about it in Earth, <laughs> on Earth. Yeah. Uh, is not done, so it will punish. Heaven will give sanction if its will is not done. Um, yeah. In China... This, yeah, this is this is very different to the Chinese mandate of heaven. Right. Which could be claimed by just about anybody so long as they won. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally. Right. <laughs> you know, some, someone would say, you are clearly not ruling well. I declare you have lost the mandate of heaven. I'm going to revolt. 
And if they succeed, well, they were right. And if they failed, well, clearly they were wrong. That doesn't seem to be the mandate of heaven we have here. This is more emperors can rule badly, and if so, heaven will spank them, as it, opposed to they should be overthrown. Mm -hmm. But um, Shoju, while regent, is not the emperor. No. So not. when Yoshi says, you know, that he might lose the sanction of heaven, or that he will mm. receive the sanction of heaven, right? He'll lose the mandate. He's making a definite threat. Yeah. And yeah. he basically is threatening Shoju in court, before the whole court. Um, and Shoju doesn't have anything to say against it. He leaves. Well, yeah, there's a question whether or not that's him showing weakness because he didn't have anything to come back with, or him showing strength because he doesn't feel he needs to dignify that with an answer. And right. I rather suspect that's going to be depending on what plays happen later on. Absolutely. So it's it's an interesting point of discussion. I thought that it was yep. uh, cool to, to take that into account. Let's see. We meet the character of uh, Doji Fumiki, um, and it is very apparent in her description and what Yoshi thinks about her that Fumiki is a member of the Doji Innocent School. She doesn't uh, spell it out, but they're basically someone who would Never lie. <laughs> it's a it's mm. a school from 4E of courtiers that have fully embraced Bushido. They reject all lies, all deception at any cost, and then use the fact that everyone knows that they would never ever lie or do anything deceitful as the source of their strength in court. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know whether you'd need that to be like a whole separate school thing mm -hmm. because of how flexible 5th edition is. Right, but I think, but the idea that 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 culture, that concept, that movement mm -hmm. is around is a cool thing, and and it's a different way of being a courtier as well. So that's another neat thing. So regardless of whether you think there is an organized Doji innocent, mm -hmm. more importantly, there are people who think that way, and that that could be an option for your character. Right, that's why I wanted to raise it because you can certainly mm. make a diplomat with that style and belief yeah and this is despite the fact that all air shuji seem to be lying and cheating and deceiving <laughs> right uh, there's a, a big tip here for courtly distraction which is if you're if you're running any kind of courtier thing or, or being involved in it uh create lots of me meetings <laughs> get everyone meeting everybody else so the your opposition spies have to do a lot of running about they can't be everywhere at once. <laughs> Absolutely, even if they are the scorpion. And it just makes it harder for them to prioritize the important meetings, which I think is uh, rather, rather neat. Yeah, one of the things I thought was hilarious was that uh, uh, Fumiki talks about how she is hearing rumors in, in the court about scorpion are involved with Tatori's disappearance and there was a fight between the princes and she's kind of mm. dismissing them. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But they're all true. But they're all true. I think it's it's really fascinating because we know the truth because we got to see it uh -huh. by reading the fictions. But everyone else has just got little tiny pieces of it. And seeing them react to pieces of information, some of which we know is true, some of which we know is false, but we can absolutely understand how these rumors got, came about. And we are seeing how 
very, very differently people are taking them. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, that's going to have, that's going to have some re- repercussions down the line. Right. And uh, it has been... Yoshi is essentially using prey on the weak here, one of the shuji, and the weak he is preying on in this case is poor Asami, uh, who is unfortunately not up to to being Kachigo in this particular stressful situation. So this is an example, if you want to read through it, of someone using a shuji to trigger an unmasking. Right, and then there's how how he triggers it, among other mm. things. He you know, he's he's taking her already compromised self and he's using it to get information from her as part of the unmasking. That's how you'd play it out. But yeah. there's also the things he does to push her kind of over the edge. And they, they don't spell it out very well, but like one of the things he says is that he says, uh, Doji Hitaru hates the cold. All right. Mm. Kachiko would definitely know that information. Right? Yeah. Asami knows Kachiko would know that information, but she doesn't know that information herself. Yep. So she's and, and like she's... flailing at that point. Her her disguise is is in trouble because she yeah, she and, has and... to guess an answer. You know, I, and, and, and she wasn't she was, and, and she wasn't able to to evade the question right like if if she was really good she could have just said oh what a ridiculous thing why why are we even talking about this and not given it away but she just she can't even she doesn't know how to do that either and so she's completely stuck right poor lass <laughs> so i like the you know how how do you do the verbal trick to make some of this stuff you know it's like yeah, give yeah, a yeah. piece of information that they can't respond to Let's see. And then um, it is interesting in, in his poetic metaphors, because this is mm-hmm. Yoshi, he talks about how some crane migrate south and some cranes stay in the north. And that's not just poetics, actually. Um, mm-hmm. The most common species of, uh, of crane that is associated with um, immortality and symbolism in Japanese culture is the Japanese red-crowned crane population. That's like the the key breed that you see in all the art, everything like that. And mm-hmm. in that, there are two different populations of them, and one of them does migrate a long way uh, south for the winter, and, and that's the um, mainland population. But the ones in the far north in Hokkaido don't. They just kind of stay yeah. within a few, you know, within a hundred miles of each other all year round. So you see plenty and of cranes thought, dancing in snow. So Hokkaido is really the cold place. I would have thought if anywhere would be the migratory population would be the really cold place. Mm-hmm. It gets really cold in winter, but nope. maybe they like it. They like it. So uh, it, it's kind of interesting. Yoshi says that, but he actually is telling the truth about the migratory yeah. patterns of red crown cranes, which is hilarious, I thought. That was lots of fun. I liked yep. the story. So even if it was okay. just court maneuvering. Yeah. No, and yeah, I mean, I mean court maneuvering is, is one of the, the crucial aspects of the setting. So it's nice to see some, some concrete examples to, to base your stuff off. I think that's a good thing. Uh, 
So let's move on to our second fiction, which is The Sea and Sun Shadow, mm-hmm. which is by Annie Vandermeer Mitsurta. And this is Yasuki Oguri and his crew of the Poison Tide, which sounds great. It's a ship <laughs> uh, led by Kudaka. They are heading off to the ninth watchtower of the Caillou Wall to find out what's happened to it because it's gone silent and has done for quite some time. They find it possessed by Oni and undead, and they take steps to free it, at least for now. Right. So this is a this is a fun story. Um, mm-hmm. We have some good place references. Uh, we've got some lore nuggets on it. Um, you know, they're traveling up the river at the last stand. That's the we've talked about that before, but that's the river that separates the wall from the Shadowlands, and it was all yep. held in a huge flood while the wall was created and and all of that. So. Uh, and the ninth watchtower, we obviously learned from the title, is called the Watchtower of the Sun Shadow. But there's a string of these watchtowers along the wall. They're very big. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Um, I thought it was hilarious because she said that Kudaka normally uses the air kami to buoy her across the ship. So I've been watching Avatar Last Airbender. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just like as as we all should. As we all should. I'd be watching that. So um, just the idea of her floating around on her ship airbender style was mm. highly amusing to me. <laughs> yeah. We also get Fu and Umi, which sound very much like wind and uh, ocean, actually. Mm-hmm. They may be different names, different kanji. Don't know. Who knows? Uh, they seem to be uh, stronger than Kudaka, but less experienced. And that apparently means that the taint is worse for inexperienced and for stronger Shugenja. There's a reluctance. The kami are reluctant to get involved. And there is a kind of a horrible smell, feeling, feeling of disgust with the magic. So that's an interesting take on the Shadowlands and how awful it is. Yeah, it's just there's a good description in the story. If you are taking your Shugenja character out into the Shadowlands about how it feels mm. to be there as a Shigenja because it's so spiritually corrupt. So yeah. it's, you know, if it's this, if it feels like this on the wall or near the wall, it probably yeah. gets worse deeper in. So just things to think about when you're playing your character. I was like to ha- know how things would feel or yeah. aspect. I suspect normally it's not quite this bad on the wall, but this is the bit of the wall that's been taken over. Mm. And so, yeah, it's probably feeling a bit grimy. Mm-hmm. Let's see. We have a spyglass. Uh, Oguri has mm-hmm. a spyglass. They're rare, but they're out there. And they're getting out and used around Rokugan. So. Yeah, the here and there. And that gaijin tech. <laughs> yep. Uh, Kudaka calls Oguri a cormorant, which is a bird used for fishing. Sometimes fishing. The bird dives, catches a fish, and the fisherman forces the bird to cover back up. Uh, that's because they are fitted with a collar that stops them from swallowing the fish. So they are unable to swallow it themselves, so they are, the fisherman will give some of the catch back to the cormorant in smaller pieces that they can eat. Right. So it's a cool way of, of fishing, but uh, mm. and it's a fun thing to call your, your suki, so. Yeah. Let's see. Um, the crab 
have signal arrows. That was a big part of the yep. story. And they're filled with a red powder that just explodes everywhere, covers everything. You shoot it up in the air and this makes this big stream of red smoke, basically. Yeah, yeah. But it's I, not Gaijin it Pepper. No, I don't think it explodes as such in the sense of there's a detonation. Right, there's no detonation. It's more that... Yeah, yeah. It's more that if you, it's like a fine powder, and if you cut open a bag of it, it will just go everywhere. Mm-hmm. And especially if you've got an airship engine messing things around. So I suspect it's one of those things where you, you, you send your signal arrow, it's got, a, it's got a, a certain amount of this red powder in it with a hole, and as it zooms up, it leaves it behind it, you get this really obvious kind of dust cloud. So it doesn't seem to explode as such, but it does seem to get everywhere and be really, really obvious. Right, so it would make a, but it, yeah. it would make this like Makes a, smoke stream or red stream of dust as the arrow shoots yeah. up, as it as and it will make up. a huge mess. <laughs> it will make a huge mess. Apparently, which is very convenient occasionally. Uh, we have mentioned a couple of weapons, the arebo. So sorry, I'll reset that again. The ararebo, which is a guru's weapon, which is kind of a mini tetsubo, which is a spiked two-handed war club. And the cannibal, which is the ogre's weapon, which is the big, kind of the opposite size. You know, it's, it's a supersized, ogre-sized, spiked two-handed war club. Uh, looks like an ararebo only ogre-sized. Yeah. So that might be a... Uh, that's when if someone says, I want my tetsu bow, but I want it with without the cumbersome penalty, please. And they say, well, that's an ararebo. Right. So you can make that. It's an item. Mm-hmm. Talking about items, there is a fun new magic item for your people to potentially pick up. Uh, little magic items like this, or are they really magic items, are, are fun mm. to include in your campaign because your players can get all excited about them. Um, this is a powder that, if you throw it into the air, it attracts to and reveals the presence of an invisible spirit, like a Kansen. Um mm. So it says... When she throws it, she says it binds with salt and sand, bone and ash. Um, yep. So that might be what it's made out of, but it's this magical stuff. Uh, salt is often yeah. a sacred substance. And and bone and ash is one of the things that's often kind of uh, associated with the Shadowlands. So that might also be an aspect there. Uh, we also learn a bit about Kansen themselves. Uh, how they get summoned by inexperienced Yukenja, what they do, which seems to be put them in a trance, uh, and and things like that. That's a really good description of how a Kansen manifesting would, would look like and would feel like. Great. So that was, that was cool. And how and then mm. uh, then um, Kudaka banishes it, but it's it's cool yep. to, to see how it works because that is something that you can bring into your campaign from time to time if you like. That would be neat. Mm-hmm. Let's see. So the big uh, plot reveal of this uh, story was uh, that the goblins, or the Bakamono, who were in this watchtower, uh, had a symbol on their armor. Yes, they were all organized and had proper armor, and, and they, they looked color-coordinated, and they <laughs> didn't look like they'd just been scavenging in a, in a kind of rubbish pit. And there was the a Shadowlands symbol. Shadowlands hired a fashion designer, that's all. I yeah yeah dark doji to go with the dark moto, <laughs> but the question is organized by whom? Indeed. Dun, dun, dun. There is some discussion about this symbol, 
and whether or not it is the long-awaited Spider-Mon. I don't think it's a Spider-Mon. No, I, I, yeah. I want it to be the Mon of Fuleng, which is that dragon head. That's the other. That's the other possibility. I'm kind of of the opinion that if it was meant to look like a Mon, they'd have said it looked like a Mon. But who knows at this stage? It could be a particular Oni's symbol. Mm-hmm. It could be the Monofuleng. Uh, it could be any number of things. <laughs> but certainly, this means that the, the Shadowlands, or at least portions of it, are being organized, and that's never good. No. So, um, this is a good story. In the end, we leave Ogurian Kadaka and a troop of uh, crab basically holding this watchtower, trying to get the wall mm. rebuilt there um, as quickly as possible and see if they can get reinforcements in time. A weak spot means a, something big could have gotten through and is wandering around the emperor, empire. Um, it, I feel like this probably shouldn't be the end of the watchtower as a plot I, point. I, I don't think so, because... If this has been taken, not only could there be something already out in the Empire, but if these are organized and someone has you know, sent them to take this watchtower and they know they've taken it, it could mean that something worse is on the way to take advantage of that weak point and guess who's going to be in the middle of it now. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I think mm-hmm. that that's all we want to talk about today. Uh, yep. We've been at it for a little bit. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> But uh, we do want to call out to to our other podcasts. Uh, among yep. other things, coming up shortly is uh, our first of our alternate our actual role playing games. Right? Yes, yes. Been a, a, bit, a little while in the the in the planning, and we are finally getting the stage of actually being able to get those out there. It's really, really a, a cool thing. I think the first one is. Plan to come out on June 12th, and the second one is June 15th. There are two of them. Um, one is going to be focused more on, and this is my understanding of it, uh, one is focused more on uh, interpersonal drama, high-level, just, just the really dramatic um, aspects of L5R. And the other one is going to be a little bit more classic adventure. Not saying it's going to be no interpersonal stuff, but it's going to try and no. look at the mechanics and and do do some of that kind of stuff as well. So they're just, you know, L5R has different takes. So Absolutely. So we'll see how that so goes. Looking forward to both of those, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd like to give our, our usual call out to our sister podcast, the L5R LCG podcast with Trevor Cooper and Sir Angus. Obviously, they're mostly about the LCG, but they do talk a lot about the law. And we will encourage you to listen to them. And if that gets you interested in the card game, all to the best. Great. So both of our podcasts are and the new actual play are funded by the Discord Patreon, which supports our editing costs, and our website. Lots of good things are on the website, and more every day. Um, there's, I believe there's some new uh, schools that have been built there for different yep, things. Lots, and 
just all kinds of good stuff. Um, yeah, loads of stuff. <laughs> and and the new adventure seeds potentially for our patrons. Um, talking about our patrons, we wanted to give a call out to some of our patrons. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to believe that we've been out there doing this since 2018, but uh, yeah. some of our longest standing patrons are Mason Whitlock, who joined in November 2nd, 2018, and Jacob Argulis and Trevor Cuba, who joined November 3rd, 2018. And on the very end of the sc- other end of the scale, we've got our newest patrons. Jason Flowers joins 29 of May 2020. Joshua Camden, who joined May 30, 2020, and William Carson, who joined June 5th, also 2020, 2020 this year. So thank you very much, yeah. all of you, for your, your continued support. It's what keeps us on the air and allows us to do this kind of thing. We're going to do more shout-outs as we go on. And so if you want to come join us and get your name, uh, you can find us on Discord, and we'll have a link to us in the show notes. You can find our website at corpgamespod.com. That's corpgamespod.com. Our Twitter is twitter.com slash courtgamespod. And our Patreon can be found at patreon.com slash courtgames. All right, but that's it for us this week. This is Kakita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I've been Korba. And until we meet again, keep your jade handy. <laughs> <laughs>